it's, it's Advent. I, I'm really grateful to be jumping into this season. It's, it's interesting, multiple people over the course of the last few hours have been talking about uh, being tired already, which doesn't bode well because I think we're just getting started. I had a moment this week where I was uh, driving kids somewhere and I was in the car and I was at a red light and I was doing something really spiritual and closing my eyes and contemplating the riches and the goodness of God. And uh, I had such a powerful moment that I was awoken by honking behind me <laughs> that I had essentially fallen asleep at the stoplight. But I wasn't asleep, I was just really meditating deeply. Um, my kids, I had some kids in the car and they were talking about, I love middle school kids because they are unashamedly cruel. Uh, they preface it by saying no offense and then say deeply offensive things. Uh, but I get to listen in as they talk about what their, what their parents' jobs would be. Not what they are, but by the way they perceive the parents, what jobs they should have. And mine was Uber driver. <laughs> Great. We're in this first week of Advent, and we're starting our Advent series. We're calling it Home this year. And uh, I'm going to start in the book of Luke, but before we get started, let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're good. Exceedingly good. Thank you for the incredible gift and sacrifice that is your son Jesus. And how it is through his life and death and resurrection that your word takes its proper perspective in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you're here and we're grateful. Speak to us today. Bring us words of comfort or conviction where they're needed. We ask this all in the precious name. All right, I am going to preface a book today on and off. And so um, it's called A Spirituality of Homecoming by Henry Nowen. And so this has been, uh, it's a real short read. So if some of you had reading goals for the year, just this is a good one. You can, it's like a quick, it'll take you as long as, as an episode of television and then you get to say, I, I read a book. Um, it's phenomenal. But just so you know, if, if I preference uh, Henry Nowen, this is the book. It's a, a spirituality of homecoming. But we'll jump in here. Luke 1 verse 39 through 45, and to give a little context of where we're at in the story, we are going to have two people here, Mary and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is a woman who was an, unable to have children. And, and it is something that I, quite frankly, will never understand, the longing that Elizabeth experienced in wanting a child. But I can understand the cultural implications of her being unable to have a child. That it essentially leads her to become a second-class citizen. Maybe not vocally, but the whispers around town. And the weight and heaviness for Elizabeth to live out a life with this longing to bear a child, to have a child, to 
participate fully with the rest of her community. It's a longing that would have not diminished in any capacity, even though the hope for the reality of that would diminish with every passing year. And in this story, we find that Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And and just backing up a little bit, it says the woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. And this is what the angels are telling Mary when they're speaking to her. So we see Elizabeth. When we come into the story, Elizabeth is a woman with a natural longing that has not been responded to. With a faith that has been as as ardent as any faith could be and a faith that has not produced anything until now at an impossible time. And the other character is Mary, who is going to be married, but she's not. Scholars will say that she's probably around like 13 years of age. That's young. I mean, it's, it's not 13 modern years, but it's still young. Uh, she is looking at the beginning of a life that will be new and scary. That it's a marriage, it is leaving father and mother, it's becoming one with somebody else. And then she would have a natural longing and hope for children to be a part of her story. However, not now. Before you're getting married. It's not the ideal time to become pregnant to somebody that you've not known intimately. It's not the greatest time to be like, oh, I'm pregnant. But that's where we find Mary. The difference in Mary's story is that this is a divine encounter. This is the living God saying, I'm choosing you to bear the Messiah. But for both Mary and Elizabeth, they are in places of longings that are crossing, hope that is as old as Elizabeth was and as new as the idea that Mary had of being the mother of the Messiah. And this is where they meet each other. In verse 39 of Luke 1, it says, Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Such a poignant, beautiful moment. First of all, we see Elizabeth has no concept of what Mary's there to speak. She didn't get a text message saying, big news, pregnant, still a virgin, pregnant, See you in a couple days. Nothing. She just shows up. Mary doesn't have the full context of all that Elizabeth has lived through to this moment. 
And when they meet before a word is passed, God is speaking. The Holy Spirit arrests Elizabeth in a way that is undeniable and points to the Messiah in utero. Points to Jesus in Mary. And there's this moment of unadulterated joy. In this book here, Henry Nouwen says that we will never taste the joy of life fully if we ignore the pain of life. Elizabeth has experienced the pain of life in such a way that the joy becomes even more clear than it could be without the pain. And not only is her joy so completely full, but it's full because it's shared with Mary. This moment is is one of Jesus bringing life into and to the natural longings that Elizabeth had. It's this longing for the presence of God. It's the longing that Jesus would set, the, the hope forever that Jesus would set things right. That all things would be new. That, it, that if it feels wrong in the context of this, that Jesus is the answer. It is, he is the hope that the things that are wrong will become new and right. That we were made wholeness this longing that Elizabeth had was for wholeness she couldn't see it outside of being a mother and there's this moment here with that longing is not only acknowledged and met but it's celebrated this is what I'd like to call an altar moment I love out through the Old Testament as there would be moments where God shows up in a very real way that transforms life itself, whether in rescue or provision or guidance or some sort of miraculous way that God shows up, people would build an altar. And they would take the stones and they would gather and they would make a sacrifice and they would make an altar to say, here, God showed up. This is holy ground. This is where the living God has intervened into the life of man and has made a difference. And then they would move on. But everywhere there was an altar was a memory of a moment of unadulterated joy where the pain of existence was alleviated by the presence of God, where the pain of a hope deferred was was remedied by the presence of God, where things that were wrong were made right, if not for just a moment made right. This is an altar moment for Elizabeth and for Mary. Mary stays for three more months with Elizabeth. What a comfort that must have been to have somebody who not only acknowledges that what Mary is professing is true, but that it was confirmed by the living God through the Holy Spirit. It's this crazy, beautiful intersection of hope. 
Elizabeth's hope is ancient. It's as old as her life. She had a hope that was answered in her pregnancy, but not only that hope, but the hope of generations that are hoping for a Messiah. And Mary's hope is a brand new hope that is being birthed in the now of a hope not only for motherhood, but more than that, the hope for what the future looks like with a Messiah roaming the earth. You have this deep, historic hope that is being answered in the now of the moment, and it's connected to the future hope. All of it centered around Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was talking through this with some people, and it's this intersection of the past hits the now, and then the now points to the future, and the now then becomes this critical moment of joy. It's this, the one time in all of history where the hope of the past will meet the hope of the future here and now. Beautiful. And I immediately began to think about food. I would encourage you over this season to go back and, and look through some of the windows we have back here. I use the word windows loosely. They don't look out, but maybe they're a window. To, I don't know. They're, there's some philosophical window thing there. But they're beautiful, and they're, they got food in them, which is better than anything I can think of. I've had a singular di dining experience that that I thought of in this moment. And if we have the picture, can we throw that picture up? If you can see, oh, there it is. Does it, we don't need to take guesses. But this is probably, um, and it's exactly that. And this is, uh, there's a chef in Mexico called Enrique Olvera. And he uh, is the, the chef of a restaurant called Puyol, which is the fifth best restaurant in the world according to very snobby people <laughs> who are not wrong, ever. And this is one of his signature dishes, and, and I'll, I'll explain it to you. We'll dissect it here very quickly. You have the tortillas up there, and you have two blue corn tortillas, which are heirloom corn, and they're raised by nuns that speak life to that corn every day. And then there's a tortilla that's made, it's half blue corn, and then the other half is, is hoja santa, which is sort of this, this leaf that is in Oaxaca area, and it tastes a little bit like licorice, and it's phenomenal. And the dish itself in the outer circle is that is mole. Anybody familiar with mole? It's amazing. I, you can buy it in a little can, and that's great, but what you need is an abuela, to spend days making it. And when they ask what's in it, what the abuela says is, none of your business. This recipe dies with me, so eat it while you can. And that's how you get, that's why family reunions are so large. It's like, because they're going to take the food with them to the grave, and so we got to eat now. That mole is called a madre mole. It's a, it's a, it's a mother sauce. That one today, when, when I ate there, it wasn't quite this old, but as of today, that, the mole that they will serve today in that restaurant is 3,368 days old. 
an ancient sauce. Pandemic, you remember when everybody decided they were going to be sourdough bakers? People were like shipping their starters everywhere. And it's like, well, mine was like, mine's like nine, nine years old. Like mine's 90 years old. And it was like, mine got kissed by a priest. It, there was all sorts of competitive stuff about this. But over 3,000 days old is that sauce. And, the, and the, the mole in the middle is made that day. And so what you do in this dish is all you have is tortillas and, and mole. They don't give you a spoon. I mean, it's like. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're tasting the mole that's new by itself. And the one that's old by itself. And then the combination of the two. And at the end of the day, what, what is left over of the new mole feeds the old one. It goes in and becomes a part of the sauce that is now 3,369 days old. As I think of the, the now moment of Elizabeth and Mary, I think of this. Think of Elizabeth as this mother mole <laughs> that is, has hope breathing in it daily for generations. And it's a hope that continues to grow in, complex, in complexity and, and story and time and history and, and disappointment and pain and a, a renewal and a commitment to, to hope again the next day. And the new sauce is, is like Mary, who is deeply, deeply alone in a hope that no one else has ever had before her. Not that the Messiah will come, but the Messiah is here and is coming and is in need. And the moment of the now for Elizabeth and Mary is, is sort of illustrated here where they're there. And by the time they leave, the new hope has melded into the ancient one. It has made it richer and more distinct. It has given a different note and tone to the hope that has existed forever, but it remains a hope that is alive and active. What's beautiful about the story of Elizabeth and Mary is that it is a window into the stories of our own lives. That the hope of Jesus, that Jesus being present even in utero, creates a now moment that is so unique and so powerful and so beautiful and so full of joy that it makes sense of everything, including the pain and the disappointment and the hurt and the fear and the anger that has existed forever. And what it does is it brings life to the hope that has also existed forever. It's the power of the now moment that doesn't only acknowledge 
the past or celebrate the future, but it brings them together in a way that they cannot be separated again. It doesn't mark so much as a before and after, as much as it says before, with, after. It connects them in a way that creates space for us to in great joy celebrate what we hope for tomorrow, even though we haven't seen it. To acknowledge the pain of the hopes that have been deferred or the dreams that have gone unanswered of yesterday in the now of the presence of Jesus. I love that the Holy Spirit shows up and is pointing at Jesus. Jesus is the moment of now. Wherever Jesus is, is a now moment. Wherever Jesus is, things make sense. Wherever Jesus is, the hope that we've held forever marries with the hope that is birthed in us today for something new tomorrow, and it connects them in a way that is undeniably better than if they were separate. The gift of Elizabeth and Mary together in sharing their joy and their hope is that it magnifies all of it. There's no competition. I mean, like, imagine if Mary gets there and is like, hey, I heard you're pregnant. That's super awesome. I mean, because you're old. I, I mean, 13, I'm thinking middle school. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're essentially an Uber driver for that baby, whatever. But imagine if it was like, but guess what? Uh, I'm pregnant too, miracle baby, and it's the Messiah. So, great. You're an old, you have a geriatric pregnancy. Congratulations. I'm carrying the Messiah. There's no competition. The hope of the future for Mary doesn't diminish the joy of Elizabeth's now. The pain of the process to come to a place of joy for Mary doesn't pour over, I mean, of Elizabeth, doesn't pour over Mary where it's like, yeah, you're, but it gets bad. They're being able to be fully present to the now. Because Jesus is in the now. And their joy is magnified. Back to Henry now, and he contends here. He quotes the Genesis diary where it says, Real joy always wants to share. Because this is how do we live out the joy that Christ offers us? And he contends that it's in celebration. That this is the touchstone of joyous living. That we need to learn to celebrate life. That we are invited to develop an ongoing awareness that every moment is special. And deserves to be recognized as a gift from the God with whom we share it. With whom we share a home. To celebrate in this sense means to lift up our day saying... 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's sacred moments in every day. Maybe it's not as marked as the hope ancient being responded to by the presence of Messiah. Maybe it's not a geriatric pregnancy meeting the miracle virgin pregnancy. But Jesus is in our now, which means every part of our now has joy. It doesn't mean it's absent of pain. The pain actually highlights the profound kindness of God to bring joy. To bring our eyes and our attention and our emotions to the now where Jesus is. To respond to the Holy Spirit going, creating all sorts of ruckus in our bodies, in our minds, in the world around us so that we would see Jesus. That we point towards Jesus. The Holy Spirit doing the work of like, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. But it is a, the now is uniquely communal. It is, the joy is magnified when shared. When out of the, the modern trappings of competition where we're trying to decide who's best and then if we're not doing well, then we're trying to figure out who's worst. But to be present to the now To respond to the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus at work in those around us in the smallest of ways is where the hope that is ancient and the hope that is new for today meet in a way that cannot become unseparated. Or it cannot become separated. They cannot disconnect from one another. Once the new mole hits the old one, that's it. You can't pick it out. It's, it's part of the story. It's framing the future connected to the roots of the past. The now, our hope, the now, the presence of Jesus. The gift of the now is magnified in sharing. As I sit here, there's a couple things that run through my head. I've learned, I'm learning, not to say all of them. Some of them are really weird. Um, but I'm going to share a couple of them. One is, I, I could really go for some mole. But if it's not older than 3,368 days, I don't want anything to do with it. One of the things I'm struck by is the kindness of God in this story. Elizabeth had a natural longing that was 
always there and every day farther from being a reality. She had a hope that there would be, all things would be made new and things would be right with the Messiah, but she had a personal hope that, that the living God would care enough about her to meet her natural longings. The kindness of God to answer her and meet her at her place of longing. Have to. God didn't need to do that, but chose to. I'm struck by the faith and courage of Mary. Hear what the angels are saying, and I, I, I just go, like, I'm going, how did she even remember anything? But not only the faith and courage of Mary, but the humility to celebrate God showing up in the life of Elizabeth, even though we can argue that her news was slightly more important, you know, like for humanity. But the humility to celebrate with Elizabeth. I'm struck by how in response to this moment, the now, of the collision of new and old hope in the presence of Jesus, Mary says this. She says, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God as my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next. He honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to aid, to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy. Just as he promised to our ancestors, a hope as old as Mole, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Mary in a life that was full of promise and a hope that was just beginning and a trajectory that was up and to the right, could have said, here comes the son. And I'm his mom. Like, that's what he doesn't. He points to the rich heritage of faith that has existed. Reminds not only God, but Elizabeth and anyone who will ever read these words of the mercy and kindness of God. He recognizes and makes an altar at the place of now where Jesus is and that will mark the intervention of the living God into the frailty, frailty of humanity.
leads me to a question. And we're going to get ready for communion. This is communion Sunday. and I can't think of a more appropriate thing to do than to take communion together in recognition of the sacrifice of Jesus. He brings the now to us and brings it closer than it's ever been. He opens a path for us to have communion with the living God in ways that we would never have had without his sacrifice. But as we do that, I want us to prepare our hearts. Mary and Elizabeth meet in this moment of now, and it's profoundly impactful. And so as we get ready for communion, here's what I'm going to ask you to contemplate. In the pause of this moment, Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask that you did what you did to Elizabeth and activate our senses to see where Jesus is. I want us to ask a question, where have we seen Jesus? The last days and weeks and months and years, where are there altars in your life that you've seen the now of Jesus intervene? And then I'm going to ask, where do you need to see him now? Where have you seen him? Where has the ancient hope showed up? Where has the living God met your longing, the desires of your heart? And where is new hope needed? Where do you need to see him today and tomorrow and the next? And Jesus, in this moment, as we contemplate the ancient interconnected hope of forever, and your presence in it. In the now of this moment, we ask for a future hope as well.